0: Good morning. Good morning, church. It is good to be with you. I'm glad you're here. I'm excited for us to talk, uh, uh, continue our our conversation in the book of John. Um, If you haven't been with us, uh, if you're a guest today or you're new here, we've been going through the book of John for a little while, just for a little while. But uh, we've learned so much, and I've enjoyed going through this with you so much. And today's uh, lesson in particular will be, uh, I think, just something powerful that we need to hear from Scripture and from John uh, the Apostle. Uh, Before we start, uh, let's enter into a time of prayer and uh, ask the Lord to bless us and the kingdom at large. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for uh, your church body. Lord, we know that in your great wisdom, the gift you gave to us is each other, that we get to uh, share with one another our praise to you, that we get to share with one another our submission to you. We get to share with each other our hope. Uh, Lord, it is a wonderful, fulfilling thing to know that we have hope in Christ, but it is even a bigger blessing to share that with other people in this world. Uh, For people in the church who can remind us of what is true and who can share with us uh, e- even through our hardest times, mourn with us when we mourn and rejoice with us when we rejoice. And so, Lord, we are grateful for the body of Christ that you gave us. And, Lord, beyond that, we are grateful for the body uh, universal. Uh, it was great to hear from Ricky about uh, the worship they got to have uh, down at the border this past week. And, Lord, we know that there are people gathering together, as he said, all over this world in many languages Uh Worshiping you and saying that the tomb is empty and Jesus is resurrected Lord with that uh, we want to pray in particular today for friendship Bible Church here in town Lord we ask that you would be with them and with Mark Rylander their pastor uh, that they would uh, Be filled with your Holy Spirit this morning that Mark would preach the gospel in such a way that uh, You would translate it through your Holy Spirit into their hearts and people would come to know you They would come to claim you as Lord that they would come to love each other well, that they would live out a life uh, as disciples and that you would move powerfully through them. Lord, we ask that you would uh, let them raise their children to know who Jesus is, that you would let their youth become powerful young men and women of God and that they would reach folks who do not yet know you through their work. And Lord, we ask that you do the same for us. Uh, We ask the blessing over this whole city and the whole church who calls you Savior over this whole city and that you would uh, give us a new revival uh, To share the gospel in new ways with people who don't know you here Lord I ask that you bless our time this morning in the words that we read from your scripture and that you would pierce our hearts with it Uh, You would convict us and you would give us comfort and it's through the name of Jesus. We pray all of this. Amen Well, uh, we are continuing our series through John as I said and we have kind of a series within a series on the I am statements There's these I am statements. This is Jesus trying to make sure that we understand the breadth and the depth of who he is. And he uses all these metaphors. And he comes to us and he says, you need to know, I'm not just God in the flesh, but I'm also like this, and I'm like this, and I'm like this. And they all had these great deep meetings, these metaphors that he uses. And the ones that he's used so far have been just wonderful, and I've loved hearing them because they give me great comfort. To have him say, you need to know, I'm the bread. And I go, oh, good, because we need bread. And he says, and I'm the light. And that's good, because we need light. And he says, and I'm the shepherd, and I'm the gate. And all of those things are so good, because I need all of those things. And today, he says, I'm the resurrection and the life. And that's good, too. But I want you to know, for me, this is the least comforting of all the stories for I am. Um, This one's hard. So I want you to stick with me as we go through a hard lesson uh, that is still truth and is still very good, but hard. Uh, The context of Jesus saying, I am the resurrection and the life, comes when he's talking to a couple of sisters. There's these two sisters, and they're friends. They're close friends, and they have a brother. It's Mary and Martha, and they have a friend. uh, They have a brother named Lazarus, and these are people that Jesus knows well. And Mary and Martha have lost their brother. They've had a death in the family. As many of you know and have experienced recently, that's a hard time. And what happens is people that love you come and they come to comfort you and to spend time with you. And as we said, mourn with those who mourn. And so Jesus has arrived at their hometown a few days after their brother has died. And he has come to bring comfort and to be with people that he loves. But this conversation is really kind of a hard one around the specifics of what happened and the context of this. And I want you to know, we're going to jump around a little bit for this because it's a really long story. I'm not going to read the whole thing through John chapter 11, but I would encourage you, read the whole thing today. Go home and read the whole chapter. But the first part that I want to share with you is John 11, 21 through 27. This is the conversation that happens when Jesus arrives to comfort two sisters who have lost their brother. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. Well, I want you to know that uh, as a minister for many, many years, I've been in this situation a lot. I've shown up at people's homes after a loss. And sometimes uh, they, they, they can come in different ways. Sometimes it's an expected loss. As a matter of fact, sometimes the loss is a relief. I've gone into the homes of people who've said, We've been praying for the Lord to take him. We've been praying for the Lord to take her. She was suffering. It was hard. She was ready to go home. It was time for her to be without pain anymore. And so those are the times where you come in and you go, there's mourning still happening, there's still grief. But at the same time, it was something that was expected. I've also been in situations where I've come in and it was very unexpected. And it's very hard. It's a very difficult thing to come in. And I want you to know as ministers, there's always, just like you, we wonder what are the words to say. I don't always know the words to say. I remember calling my father after I became a minister about years ago. And I called him and said, hey, I've got my first funeral memorial service that I've got to do. And I need some help. And he goes, no problem. I've got what you need. You know, I'll send you an outline and you can use it. And I go, it was a, it was a 27-year-old baby, 27-day-old baby that had passed. 27 days. And he goes, oh, yeah, that's going to be hard. That's going to be a difficult thing. And I want you to know when you walk into these times of loss and you walk into these times of grief, grief, whether it's been expected or it's not expected, they are still mourning and it's hard. And we need to know the context of this conversation that Jesus has. Even though we know how the end of the story comes, this is a hard time. And when Jesus showed up to talk to these sisters, this was a time where they had been through a lot. And I've been through a lot of conversations. I've never been through one like this. I never showed up at anybody's house And have them immediately put the responsibility on me. If you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. That an actual accusation would have arisen in this way. This is a hard conversation. And I want you to know that we're gonna dive into this, and this is gonna be tough for some of us. But at the same time, I want you to realize there's truth at the end of this, there's the truth of Christ even though we know the whole story of this and we need to read the whole thing, you need to know that this conversation and the context around it may change the way you look at God a little bit. But that's okay. There's hope at the end of this. And there's truth at the end of this. So if I can, I want to show you, share with you four facts. Because oftentimes we know this story. You go, this was the story where Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. We go, oh yeah, I know that story. Man, there's some stuff in this story we don't need to gloss over. We need to dive deep into. There's four facts that come out of this story that I want to share with you. Four facts that happen here that really we're going to wrestle with a little bit this morning. First, the followers of Jesus asked him for help. Fact two, Jesus heard their plea. Fact three, Jesus could have, and he didn't. And fact four, he said, I'm the resurrection and the life. Let me start with the first one. This is the first fact. Followers of Jesus asked him for help. If you look at John 11, verses 3 in there, it says, So the sisters sent to him, that's Jesus, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. And you need to know these aren't just regular followers of Jesus. These are Jesus' friends. These are people that are close to him. As a matter of fact, there's a story that happens that you can read about where Jesus goes to their house. Do you remember? He he was in their home, and it talks about how Martha was trying to get everything ready, and Mary sat at Jesus' feet. And and you need to know that. Sitting at Jesus' feet is is really a term of intimacy and closeness, this idea of wanting to hear from him and holding on to him. That's what disciples did as they sat at the feet of the Messiah. So these are not just your regular followers who followed around a little bit. These are people that knew Jesus and who Jesus knew. As a matter of fact, to say, Jesus, we need you to come. The one you love is ill. The one you love. That's the phrase that we see in John all the time where he talks about the apostle John. The writer of this, the apostle, refers to himself as the one Jesus loved. So you need to know when he put this on here and said, Lazarus, the one who Jesus loved, is a term of great endearment, of great closeness. These are people who know him. They had heard Jesus walk around and preach. They had been there when he said, Come to me, time and time again, where he would go, I'm the answer, come to me. Come to me with your burdens, come to me with your hurts, come to me with your fears and they are in crisis in fear they're scared to death and so they go where you're supposed to go they go to Jesus they go to the bread of life and the light of the world and the shepherd and they go we know who you are and you're the one we're reaching out to they don't reach out to anybody else they go to him they have probably seen him heal other people time and time again we've seen what he can do we know what he has we know the power that he possesses so when you know the person who has the power and you know that they love you, that's who you go to. Amen. The person with the power and the person who loves you. That's the best you can do, isn't it? That's the best we have. It's to go, I know the one who loves me, and I know the one who has the power. And not only that, but they had seen him work in ways that glorifies God, right? In just a couple of chapters earlier in chapter 9, there's this time where he and his disciples, and they encounter the blind man who was born blind. It says from birth he was blind. And they say, well, who sinned? And, and Jesus even said, nobody sinned. He's blind so that God can be glorified in what's about to happen. And I can imagine them going, come be glorified in this. Come, our brother, the one you love. Be glorified in this. Glorify yourself this way. This is the way that we want you to do this. Like the man who was born blind, come and glorify yourself. So they reached out to the right person. Here's fact two. Jesus heard their plea. He was not ignorant of it. He was not in a place where he couldn't hear it. He was a ways away, but he heard it. They came to him. And in John 11, verses 4 through 6, when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So... When he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. I don't know if there's a more difficult two statements in the Bible than Jesus loved them so he didn't go. That's a hard phrase. That's a difficult one for us to come to grips with. Again, we know the end of the story. They didn't. They just knew who we're supposed to call out to. And then when we called out to him, he heard us. And I assume... That They're saying he's coming. He's got to be he got the message The people that went probably came back and said yeah, we told him did he understand? Yeah, he understood. Did he hear you? Yeah, he heard us Now I assume he's coming He's got to be coming toward us, right? And you know, we we know That from the words jesus knew how this was going to end Lazarus is going to die, but that won't be the end of the story But you know, there's part of this too Where you look at it and you go, did Jesus realize what the next few days are going to be like? While he stayed where he was, did his mind wander and think about what Mary and Martha and Lazarus are going through right now? Because some of you have been through this. Some of you have sat there and you go, "There's, there's this time where you have this hope. He's getting worse and he's getting worse. But we have this hope. Things could turn around. Maybe God will perform a miracle. Maybe he'll get better. And then you come to this place where you go, he's he's not getting better. It doesn't look like he's going to. And there's this time of acceptance where you come to as it goes, it looks like my loved one may not be here very long. As he realized that last words were probably said, that Mary and Martha were terrified, that Lazarus himself may have been scared to death as he felt life ebbing from his body. There's these last breaths That become labored. There's this difficult time that happens. There's a last kiss on the forehead. There's last words. All of this happened. This doesn't just happen in a vacuum. It hurts. It's hard. There's pain that comes with this. There's those losses that make sense. And then there's those that don't. And this would have been one of those Where I imagine the loved ones were going I can't believe that this is where it's come to And that he's gone It's a hard conversation That happens when Jesus shows up But the fact is to have resurrection Necessitates death It's the only way resurrection happens Death comes first But that statement He loved them, So he didn't go Is a hard one for us to handle And some of y'all may know that one That's difficult. Here's the third fact. Jesus could have, and he didn't. And that's just a fact that they had to deal with, too. This is the part where you find out, we did the right thing. The formula appears to work. We asked, he heard. We asked the right person, the right person heard, and he didn't come, and he could have. He didn't heal him, and he could have. He had the power he had everything he needed to do that. And so it led to this conversation that I started earlier. It's really more than just a conversation. It's a confrontation that happens. This is John 11:17 17 through 21 and 28 through 32. This is how this conversation went. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. Many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. That's the part that we saw earlier. The confrontation that Martha has with Jesus. Then we jump to 28, verse 28. twice Each sister saying exactly the same words When they finally did get face to face with jesus the Conversation had it wasn't questions. It was the statement twice if you had been here This wouldn't have happened if you'd been here. This wouldn't have happened powerful words words of accusation words of tremendous faith words of doubt hard words But words from people who believed they have to You have to be a person of faith to say those words. If you don't have faith, if you don't think he can do anything, then you got no problem. But if you look at him and you go, I know him, and I know what he can do, and all my coins have been pushed in on this guy. I bet everything on him and what he can do. Then this is where you start wrestling, and you go, you could have, and you didn't. And that part's hard, hard. The more faith you have in him as a healer and in his power, the harder it is to accept when he doesn't do what you ask him to do. It's hard. It's a difficult time. He can and he didn't. Because for us, so often in the way this world works, love means that you intervene. And what you had was people here that go, I know he loves me, and I love him, and we had this relationship, and love means you intervene. When you see somebody hurting, you step in, and you do something, right? That's what we do with our kids. I know if I'm near my kids, and they're going through a hard time, and there's something that I can do to save them, you intervene, you step in. That's what you do. It's really this idea, this kind of this... This theory of proximity that so many of us have and so many of us believe in. There's this proximity that says, if I'm near you, Lord, if I'm one of the people following you, if I'm at your feet, if I'm one of the people that clings to you and abides in you and holds on to you, when I ask, you're going to do it, aren't you? I mean, doesn't that make sense? Isn't that the way that the world seems to work for us? It's really this question of presence. When they come to him, the the question that they have for him is really not a question, it's a statement. They go, your presence was not here. And if your presence was here, he would have been okay. We all kind of believe that a little bit. Have you had that happen before where you've talked to somebody and they say, my faith is struggling or I've lost my faith because so-and-so was going through a hard time or this was happening, and I went to God and asked, and he didn't do it. And therefore, I don't believe God was with me. And if he's not there doing what I ask him to do, then he's not there at all. See, it's this proximity thing. It's this, I think if you're right near me, you would have done this because there's no way you're with me and you don't do it when I cry out for help. It's this confusion we have. I've had it. I want to tell you, man, I went through a hard time a few years ago. Me and the Lord had it out on some stuff. I was going and praying about people that I loved, people that had devoted their lives to him, people that followed him in ways that I've never seen anybody follow before. I had a mentor, a guy that was going through this very difficult time with his heart, and he could not get well, and we prayed and we prayed and we prayed and we prayed, and he could not get well, and he's suffering and he's hurting, and at the same time, I had these people that I worked with that devoted their whole lives to serving the Lord and bringing children up, and they sacrificed constantly to go look at Christ, follow Christ, that's all they ever did, And they're in pain and they're hurting. and They can't get well and they can't catch a break. And I had somebody else that I knew who was struggling with addiction, hurting herself, causing herself pain, suffering, headed towards just the worst disaster possible. And prayed for months and months and months. And I remember kind of having it out with the Lord and going, but these people, but these people, they love you. They know you. They follow you. They're right there next to you. Why would you not heal the people that are right there next to you, that are following you, the people that I know would give you glory? You talk about how, you know, we'll heal this blind man so that the glory of God can be seen. The glory of God will be seen. Now All they'll do is go tell everybody that you healed them. What, What are you doing? I remember this conversation going, I don't get it. I don't get how you operate. I don't get how you decide what you're doing and what you're not doing. I don't get why you're not intervening in this place. I, I, I don't know if many of y'all have seen, uh, I mentioned this once before, I don't know y- y'all watch The Chosen, if anybody's watched The Chosen, I want to tell you, I, I, I recommend it. Um, it is not, all the dialogue is not straight from Scripture, but that's okay, right? Um, they, they don't claim to be, so you don't need to worry about that. Um, but they try to put some context and some feeling and some things that happen around the idea of maybe what it was like. And season three of it, is, uh, I don't mean to give you all a spoiler. Just so you know, somebody very important dies at the end of the story, but there's a twist. I'll just tell you. I don't want to <laughs> spoil it for you. I don't, I don't want to ruin the music, the, the, um, the movie for you. But I, I will tell you, season three is an interesting thing. Because the whole thing seems to be about this theory of proximity. In other words, you have these disciples and these people in particular, the disciples that are right there, they're living with Jesus, they're following Jesus, they've given up everything for Jesus. And some of them need healing and he's not doing it. And as a matter of fact, you see them kind of confront and go, I've watched you travel 20 miles to go heal somebody over there and I have the same thing and I'm right here. I'm in front of you. I live with you. We sleep on the same ground. I'm the one who's devoted myself to you and you'll travel a long way to go heal somebody else And as a matter of fact, there's the part where he sends the disciples to go Go out and preach the gospel and go heal the lame and one of them's lame going, hey What about me? You're telling me to go heal lame people? I'm lame How am I supposed to go help people And show them the truth and the power of God when it hasn't Happened the way that I want in my own life Man, that's a hard question. That's a hard question. And that didn't exactly happen all in Scripture, but you need to know that happened with Jesus. It happened right here. This is the question. Here we are, your friends, people you love, people who love you, who've devoted themselves to you, and you're not. Why aren't you? You're doing it in other places with people you don't know as well. Why wouldn't you do it with us? That's when the people that are closest to Jesus have to wrestle the most with his decisions. Do you know that feeling? I've had that. I've had that. And when you really love him and you really trust him, it's hard. That can be a hard conversation. Here's the fourth fact. Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. So, there's this confrontation that happens. There's this questioning of why did you let this occur? There's this, if you'd have been here, it wouldn't have happened. And then you have this confrontation that happens, and then Jesus answered it with, I am the resurrection and the life. This is where things start to turn, but it's still hard. You got Mary, and you got Martha, and you got Jesus, and they all mourn. All three of them mourn. All three of them go through it in a different way. Martha wants to theologize. She wants to get in there and talk about the things that have to do with God and his role in the world. Mary wants to weep. And Jesus gets mad. So let me walk through this a little bit. Martha came to Jesus immediately. And boy, you can kind of tell by the tone. It's to go First thing goes and meets him as he's coming into town and goes, if you'd been there, this wouldn't have happened. That, that seems like an accusation in a lot of ways. It comes from hurt. And then the neat thing is Jesus lets her do it. Sometimes when you're hurting and you just need to go to the Lord and go, I don't get you, he goes, that's okay. I know you don't get me. That's a whole part of the Bible is the idea of my ways are not your ways, my thoughts are not your thoughts. That comes with the territory. There's going to be times when we go to God and go, I don't get what you're doing. He goes, I know. I know that you don't. So Martha kind of has this explain to me how this happened. And he says these words, and it's kind of confusing if you look at it. So she says, if you had been here, this wouldn't have happened. He uses words like, those that believe in me, though they die, will live. And he who lives and believes in me will never die. Well, those sentences don't seem to make sense together. That's one of going, you won't die. And then he immediately goes, you will die. It's a hard statement. It's a hard reply. And he's not explaining why he wasn't there and why Lazarus died. He's starting to tell her a little bit about what's going to happen. And then he finishes it with, goes, and do you believe this? And really what this is, is this is a conversation that starts with, why weren't you here to make sure my brother didn't die? And it turns into a conversation about who am I? Do you know who I am? Are we in agreement of who I am? Because one of the things that he starts explaining is his grand purpose in a lot of ways that's really hard to understand, especially for somebody who's brokenhearted. And at the end of this, he goes, do you believe this? What I'm going to do with people who die and people who live in me and people who believe in me? Do you get it? And I love her answer because she doesn't answer that question. She doesn't go, yes, I understand what you're talking about, about the resurrection and about dying and about believing in you. She goes, yeah, you're the Messiah. That's What a great, what a great statement of faith. Do you get what I'm doing? No, but I get who you are. This is who you are. And this is a a conversation that will happen for you if it hasn't yet, and at some point you will. It did for me. That was the one where I remember going to God and going, I don't get why you're not fixing this. And he goes, I know. And I want you to know, I don't hear this verbal voice, but the Lord and I have conversations like this. And it comes from scripture so much. I could kind of hear him through scripture going, I know you don't get it. My ways are not your ways. And I go, I don't understand why you would heal this and not this when you have these people that love you. He goes, I know. And go, I'm disappointed in you. I know. And I'm angry. And he goes, I know. And then he goes, But who are we? Am I still God and you still my follower? What's our relationship? You didn't save me from this hard thing. Whether it was my own making or something that happened to me. And he goes, I know. But who am I? Does this change who I am? Does this change our relationship? And and it's a wonderful thing to finally reach the bottom and go, no. I got nowhere else to go. I got no place to go. Yeah, I'm frustrated with you. Yeah, I'm upset. You didn't do this the way I wanted. I lost something that was very precious to me. I had suffering. I had hardship. It was very difficult. But no, you're still God. I've got nowhere else to go. Where else is their truth? Where else is their life? Where else is their bread? Where else is their shepherd? This is the gate. I got nowhere to go but to you. That was Martha. She wanted to theologize. How does this work? And he goes, Do you believe who I am? Yeah, I believe who you are. Then there's Mary. And if you notice the way that Jesus did this, he let Mary come out and they had this this little theological debate with Martha. He let Martha come out and they had this theological debate. Mary, she stayed. She wasn't ready. And you may have been there before where there's times where you go, I'm not ready to talk to the Lord about this yet. I'm hurt. I'm hurt in the way that this goes. He's hurt me. He's disappointed me. And I'm not ready. And Jesus waits. You need to know. That's one of the things about Jesus is he'll wait. And when it was time, Mary came out to him. And when she did, she fell at his feet and she started weeping. Mary falling at his feet. She always seems to be at his feet. She was at his feet when he was there before in their home and Martha's cooking things. Mary's sitting right there at his feet, clinging to him and hanging on. And probably what was this amazing time of going, I can't believe this is Messiah and look what he's saying. And here she is in this time where she's disappointed and she's hurt and she's at his feet. Same place. What will come later is at the tomb when Jesus is there and she's at his feet. At the foot of the tomb. And then the resurrected Lord comes and she's at his feet. She always seems to be at his feet. What a great place. What a great place for us to be. At the feet of Jesus So Jesus wept with her. She wept, and then Jesus wept. Broken-hearted at his feet, and then he wept too. And then here's the final fact that I didn't put up there, and this is the one you know. Then he raised Lazarus from the dead. There was this hard conversation. There was this difficult time where they wanted answers of how this could have happened, and he didn't give them answers on how this could have happened. What he did is he set the relationship again and go, But do you believe who I am? And go, yeah, in this hardship, in this difficulty, in suffering, and in pain, you are still God, and I am still your follower. And so he went. And one of the things that's interesting is it mentions that it was the fourth day by the time that he got there. And you need to know there's an old Jewish tradition that says sometimes the soul could hover over the body for the first three days. And with that, that may have come from a place where, you know, they weren't as accurate in trying to detect if somebody was dead or if they weren't dead. And so oftentimes what would happen, they said in this tradition, is on the third day they would go out and call their name. Lazarus. Come out if you're still alive. Right? So that the soul could hover. Jesus waited till the fourth day. Because in their tradition, on the fourth day, the soul is gone. There will be no question about how this happened. There will be no question that maybe the soul was hovering. There will be no question that maybe we made a medical mistake. There will be a resurrection of a soul that was gone returning. And so he calls, Lazarus, come forth, and he does. I didn't mean to bury the headline in this. He brought a guy back from the dead. It's kind of a big deal. And so in front of the multitude who came from Jerusalem, in front of Mary and Martha who were hurting and who came to him with accusation, in front of all of these other people, he brings Lazarus back. So here's the conclusion. What's the final word on this? And you go, man, this is a downer, Scott. It's not a downer. It's just hard. Because we'll face death in this world. And it will be difficult. And there are times where we're going to go to the Lord and he's not going to answer the way that we want. And so the question becomes, is he who he says he is? Even his words, this will not lead to death, that he said about Lazarus at the beginning. They came and said, hey, he's sick. And he goes, this won't lead to death. Well, you need to know, it did. Not only did it lead to Lazarus' death, it led to Jesus' death. Because you need to know, once he did this in front of all of these people... Here's what happens in John 11:45 45 through 46. This is what it says. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, believed in him. But some of them went to see Pharisees and told them what he had done. Verse 53. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. This is what did it. This is the one that set in motion his own death. This idea... That he would go, this is the time I'm setting up for the glory that will eventually happen. You know, we we, we go back to creation and there's this time where he says, the serpent's going to bruise your heel, but you're going to crush his head. And we don't often understand that. We think that maybe that's a conversation about snakes and it's not a conversation about snakes. You need to know this is a conversation about how the battle's going to go. You're going to be hurt. There's going to be death. But that'll only bruise your heel. This is the first salvo that Jesus makes back and go, I'm going to bruise your heel real hard with Lazarus because here in a few weeks this is going to lead to my death and then I'm going to crush you. And when he says you, it's death. This is my first shot at destroying death and the hold that it has on you. The hold that it has on all of us. If there's one thing that I wanted us to get through this study of John, it's that every time we think Jesus is talking about fleshly things, he's talking about spiritual things. You remember this from the beginning? A, you're hungry and so you need bread and yeah, you need spiritual bread. You know, the woman at the well, you're thirsty and you want water, that's spiritual water. This conversation is not about fleshly death. This is about Jesus' resurrection and spiritual death, and Jesus finally overcoming all of it completely. For the final time, he's always interested in things of spirit over things of flesh. He's interested in things of eternity. He's showing what I did with Lazarus is because I'm pointing towards eternity and what I'm about to do. And this particular miracle is what led to the death of Jesus, where he was glorified on the cross and in the empty tomb. So when he says at the beginning, I'm not going so that the Lord can be glorified. This is what he's talking about. This is how I'm going to be glorified. And then there's two times, I want you to underline something if you have your, little, uh, if you have your Bible there or you have your journal that we've been through. Verse 33 and 38, there's this word, deeply moved. Do you see that? Verses 33 and 38, underline that, deeply moved. You need to know, that is not just he was moved emotionally like it made him a little teary. That is actually a word that means indignant. It's a word that's used when people are scolding and when they're angry, and so twice, when he saw Mary crying, and then when he came to the tomb and wept himself, he was mad. And this is Jesus' morning time. He was angry. And you need to know, he's not angry at Martha, and he's not angry at Mary, and he's not angry at you when you go, I don't understand why you didn't do this. He's not angry. What he's angry at is the enemy, and the enemy is death. I hate the hold that it has on the people that I love. I hate the hopelessness that they feel right now. I hate the doubt that it's caused in them. I hate that that this is something that's grabbed hold of people because sin entered this world, and through sin, death has come, and I'm going to take care of this. This is why I came. I'm taking care of this. I'm mad. The things that hurt my children make me mad. And so this will end. And that's what this is as much as anything, is to go, this is not the end of us. Even though it grabs hold of us and it's hard and it's very difficult and it's one of the most frightening things we face in this world This is not the end of us Now here's a couple things that you have with this When god doesn't rescue you the way that you ask You usually come up with about two different options And one of those is that you go to a point where you go well, there is no god If he didn't do what I asked him to do that means he's not here and he didn't do it And so you lose your faith Or the other thing that happens is the death of the God you think you had happens. You lose something else. For a lot of us, we've had to get to that point. is to go, the God that I originally thought existed, that answered my prayers, and if he was close to me, did what I asked, and does things the way that I would do them, and the ways that make sense to me, that God's not there. He thinks differently than you do. He's got eternity in mind. That scripture that we just read before, all of these Jews who came from Jerusalem were there, and they watched this. And because of that, they believed. You need to know that was not the only resurrection that happened that day was Lazarus. There were all these people who were dead in their sin who are now alive because they believe in Jesus. It happened right there. Through their suffering and through their hurt, he brought back to life all of these people who came from Jerusalem. And we need to know, You need to know. This is not about either we weep or we believe. We do both. We are God's people. We do both. We weep and we believe because Jesus did. He wept and he believed. There's that phrase, right, that is in Scripture that says, we we should not grieve like those who have no hope. Paul said that. That's true. But also, we should not hope like those who don't grieve. In other words, we should not be people who just brush this off and don't allow people the opportunity to hurt. Hurt's part of the deal. Jesus hurt. Nobody knew the end of the story better than he did. And he said, but you can still grieve. We'll weep and it'll hurt. But it's not the end of us. It is not where we finally finish up. John 12, 1 through 2 shows how this ends up. This is the next chapter over. Six days before the Passover, this is right before Jesus died, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, so where, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave him a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. So those who die end up reclining at the feet of Jesus. That's where they land. That's where we land. For those of us who have died to sin and have been reborn and raised Through newness of life and our baptism, this is where we reside. We are at the foot of Jesus, reclining with him at the table that we will take here in a few moments. We take the bread, we take the cup. This is where we belong. I once was dead, and now I'm alive. And so I don't need to fear fleshly death because Jesus comes and says, You need to understand, I have come to give you resurrection and life. That's who we are, that's what we believe. It's okay to hurt. It's okay to come to Jesus and go, I don't understand why you've done this. But you need to know where we end up is at the foot of Jesus in this world, and that continues into the next. That's our future, and that's where it lies with he who is the resurrection and the life. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much for the way that you love us. I thank you for uh, these words. I thank you for this hard story, this difficult story um, where you were glorified. And where things did work out well, but boy, did some of your people have to go through a difficult time. And Lord, we know that. There are people here who have lost loved ones just recently who I know are in that place. Where they're coming to you and maybe they're falling at your feet or they're talking to you and trying to theologize how this works. And those who may be a little disappointed, not ready to come to you yet, we know you are patient. And there are those that who have just thrown themselves at your feet. But Lord, we recognize right now you are the resurrection and you are the life and we need not fear what can be taken away from us in this world. We belong to you and eternity has begun here for us with you. And it is in that we hold on to. And we ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.